Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Come on, let's clap our hands one more time and thank him for his hand of mercy. Aren't you thankful that he doesn't leave us out there on our own? He don't leave us out there just to flail around, but God's hand of mercy is always there. I'm thankful for that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning and join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. I have... <clears throat> For lack of a better term, I've sat on these notes for about a month, and I just feel like they are fitting for today. With the help of the Lord, I hope to do what he's given me. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And so I want to just draw a central theme from verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And with the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you this morning from a very simple subject. Focused faith. Focused faith. Let's lift our hands, let's lift our voices, and let's pray. Lord. I stand before you, God, unworthy of your mercy, unworthy of your grace. But, Lord, I feel like you have placed me here for a purpose, and I want to do your will. And so I ask you now in Jesus' name to anoint my mind and my mouth to speak the word I feel like you've given to me and help me do it, Lord, with clarity. Let every heart and mind be established in your word. In Jesus' name, we give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands as you're seated this morning? In Jesus' name. We live in a fast-paced world. While merely living in that fast-paced world, we are, at least they are attempting to program us to live a certain way. When I say they, I mean the world's concepts, the world's ways of doing. They're attempting to program us to live a certain type of life or a certain way. You see, our society places a high value on things and the accumulation 
of those things, those tangible assets that we can achieve perhaps even on our own, houses, cars, activities, recreation, entertainment. The list can literally just go on and on and on. It's whatever you want to feel in that blank. You see, it's, it's what drives the world around us. It's what drives the men of this world to do the things that they do. Sister Amanda alluded to this a few weeks ago when she said, that the name of the game was once said to be he who dies with the most toys wins. But the reality of all of this is is that whether rich or poor, he who dies simply dies. You can't take it with you. And so the question remains is what did he or what did she do with what she had? You see, the pursuit of tangible assets has been the downfall of many a man. It has been the downfall of many a family. It has been to the detriment of our families and even eventually society. You can just research lottery winners and you'll quickly find that money and things don't buy your happiness and money and things will not satisfy your soul. No, the songwriter said it best when he penned the words, only Jesus can satisfy your soul and only he can touch your heart and make you whole. But it seems that even though we live in this life, the accumulation of things sometimes happens organically. It sometimes happens without us even noticing, perhaps without even trying. We accumulate things into our lives and they begin to physically crowd out a room or take over a space. And if we are responsible homeowners, then we will not become hoarders and we will take affirmative action. We will donate those things or we will have a garage sale or we will have our yard sale. The list can go on and on to get those things out of our lives. And so I'm here to say this morning that if physically in this physical world we can walk through this life and organically begin to accumulate things unto us, how much more can our lives be inundated and our souls become overloaded with the things of this life? You know, Jesus called them the cares of life. And he said that the cares of life have the ability to choke out the most powerful thing on planet earth. He said that the cares of life, they have the ability to snuff out the very powerful thing that created this world in the first place. It has the ability to snuff out the word of God in any given life. He said that in Luke 8 and 14, but then he warns again in Luke 21 and 34 when he said, take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares. And so it is no wonder. It is no wonder that the writer of Hebrews takes time to write the words, let us lay aside every weight and the sin and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now living in this world for all intent and purposes, we live a relatively easy life. I only got one or two amens on that, but we live a relatively easy life. Comparatively speaking, against the rest of the world that we live in today, we have running water, 
We have electricity. We have nice vehicles. We have larger homes than most of the world that lives in today. We have modern medicine. All of these things are basic here in this country, yet in other places they are considered luxurious in most countries. But even so, even though we live a relatively easy life, life still has a way of just creeping in on us. Life still has a way of just trying to crowd out the most important things in our lives. We spend so much time trying to merely make a life that we can run the risk of drifting about aimlessly. It's easy to allow the cares of life to weigh us down to the point of growing cold and perhaps even indifferent. But whether it is you trying to get ahead in life or whether it is you trying to navigate around legitimate circumstances that are attempting to vie for your attention, hear me today, Jesus' words still ring true as they ever have from the day that he said them but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you and so the question remains I must ask myself and you must ask yourself today where is my focus lying where does my focus lie at this very moment and what constantly draws and keeps my attention and furthermore what is hindering any one of us from focusing on what God has called us to do in the kingdom of God today. I believe that these three questions can be answered in one word and in one formula here today. I believe that the answer to these questions can all be boiled down to faith and where that faith is focused. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, amplified. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight in the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith. The first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith into maturity. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross disregarding the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God revealing his deity his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it in all comparison with your trials so that you will not grow cold, weary, or lose heart. Now, contextually, we must understand that Hebrews chapter 12 and 1 through 3 is based upon chapter 11. So to contextually understand what he is talking about here in Hebrews chapter 1, chapter 12, 1 through 3, we must understand that chapter 12 is congruent 
with chapter 11. It is one single, solitary, fluid thought. Contextually, the writer of Hebrews is exhorting the people regarding Old Testament heroes of faith. You see, he outlines their faith by revealing their focus and their faith and their focus was based on one thing and that was the knowledge of God and who he is and his absolute faithfulness. You see, their faith was deeply rooted in knowing that God will do what he said he will do. If he promised it, he is faithful enough to bring it to pass. He said that their faith is predicated upon knowing that God is sovereign and that God is true and that God makes good on his word. And their focus was placed squarely on a promise that none of them happened to receive. Some of them never received the promise, but they were they were diligent in everything they did. They didn't receive the promise, but at the very mention of the promise, they kept their faith firmly and solely grounded in God alone. And so no matter what come their way, they stood flat-footed with their chest poked out and said, I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And because of that faith, Hebrews 11, 33 through 40, it is quite lengthy, but I feel in the Holy Ghost that I need to read this. Who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Hear me, women, received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, and that they might obtain a better resurrection. I feel like God has just placed something in my heart right here. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Hear me today. If you'll put your faith in him, if you'll put your faith focused on him, our wayward children are coming home. Their dead is going to be raised to life again. Ah, feel it in the Holy Ghost. They're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming back. And others, others had trial of crew mockings and scourging, Jay, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens of caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided for us, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Where for? Where for? Where for? Because of this great company of believers, because of these great people that have gone on before us, let us cast away every weight and let us do away with every sin that is hindering us and let us settle our faith in God. He said, 
past generations have wondered. They have been destitute. They were proverbial outcasts, yet they stayed the course anyway. It was a promise that kept them going, and it was enough to keep them grounded in God. It was a promise that kept them serving God, even though they walked through struggles, and even though they ended up in hardships. It was that promise that kept them grounded in God. But I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't just end right here. I know and I respect this book all with all of my heart. It is the word of God. But I'm thankful that not all of our heroes of faith are bound up in this book right here. I heard it just last week one more time and it just settled something in me. There are living heroes of faith among us. We need not look all the way back. We should. But there are just two or one generation away from men and women who gave all they had. They were witnesses and they were examples. They were people who faced the real world. They lived in absolute opposition and they still fought for truth and they still endured until their end. They didn't allow the cares of this life and the cares of this world to choke out the word of God. They ran the race that was set before them. It's interesting that the writer makes reference to the race. The race that is set before us. It's important to understand that this term translated race is the word agon from which our English word agony is derived in a form of which is translated striving in Hebrews 12 and 4. And so he equates our Christian living, our Christian walk with a race, but not just any kind of race. He equates our Christian living with a race, much like a marathon. You see, it's a marathon to live for God. It's not a sprint. This is not to the swift, but it is to the intent, to the ones who will endure until the end. You see, a marathon requires intense effort and even involves pain. Now, I can spend probably the rest of the day here but I know, I know I need to move on. But I read an article not long ago, and I just took some points from it about marathons and about running marathons and how to prepare. The man listed nine, but I'll bring out five. He said, respect the distance. Going into this, you must understand that this is not a short-lived thing. This is a test of endurance. And so respect the distance. We must respect the distance and understand what is before us. We cannot take this lightly because it won't be easy, but it can be done and it can be done the right way. He said it's very important that going out you start and set a pace. He said make sure that you are running with the right people that you can set your pace with 
that you can set your pace with because starting out fast is not always the best thing to do. It can be detrimental to you if you start out too fast. It will make you end badly. But if you'll set your pace because it's not a sprint and it can be maintained if you'll just set your face, your space, your pace. So he said, you must learn how to draft or to use drafting. Choose other people ahead of you to draft behind. People that have already been running through the wind. People that have already been running ahead of you. Fall in behind them and draft behind them. It will still be painful, but it will take off less pain because there's not as much resistance because they're already running ahead of you. You must, he said, you must eat right. You must take in the right food, the right things into your body. He said eating the proper diet is essential to completing the course because a diet, a proper diet will literally make or break you. And finally, he said, finish strong. Don't quit and don't give up. Maintain your pace. Draft. Eat right. Do what everything you're supposed to do. Train and maintain your thoughts on finishing the course. Hear me today. If we'll apply those rules to our Christian walk with God, I'm telling you that we can make it. We can do what God has called us to do if we'll just respect the distance. Can I tell you, young people, you need to be able to set a pace next to some people that have already been running this race. You need to draft behind some people that have already gone before you. Some people who have already set an example for you. I don't want to run with my peers. I don't want to run with my schoolmates, but I want to find somebody who's just, who's already been living for God who can tell me and teach me how to live. So a marathon is not a sprint. The race isn't to the swift. The race is to who finishes. You see, it's a runner's worst nightmare to be encumbered and weighted down by something that chafe or that that heavy thing while they run. And so they make it their primary business to find the lightest clothes, the lightest shoes, the least amount of weight, the least amount of drag so that they can get through that course and finish strong. And so in order to effectively complete our spiritual race, we must cast off every weight and every sin. You see the word translated lay aside also appears in Colossians 3 and 8 where believers are commanded to put off like old clothing sinful behavior. In ancient Rome, stadium runners typically race almost unclothed. They were making sure that they were not encumbered about by anything that had the potential for causing them defeat. And so I must ask myself some more questions today. I must ask myself now in my walk with God, am I as committed now as I was when I first started? Is my focus still where it needs to be? And if it isn't, today is the day to make that change and to do it effectively to do it the way that we are supposed to do it the way that we are going to be effective in completing this course is we must look to our primary example and look at Jesus Christ himself 
He is our ultimate example in all things. He is the only human who's ever lived a sinless life. He only and not only instructs us, but he examples in living color what a focused life was, must resemble. Jesus told one scribe who wished to follow him, he said, the son of man hath not where to lay his head. His life, his ministry, his death, his burial, and his resurrection all serve to reveal his ultimate focus. The Old Testament examples that the writer referenced in Hebrews 12 closely portray the life that Jesus himself would live on this earth. And although the cross was in view, and although Gethsemane would reveal the agony of that process, he withstood the, the temptation to give it all up and to give it all in. Jesus literally gave all, not only in word, but he also showed us in deed. And so for us to do the same, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion of a man as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto the, unto death even the death of the cross hear me today Jesus could have chosen to call 10,000 angels to set up his kingdom on earth and rightfully rule for eternity but First, first, he had something that he had to go through in order to accomplish that goal. Hear me today. He is coming back. He is going to set his feet on the Mount of Olives. He is going to set up his kingdom on this earth, and he is going to rule and reign rightfully so. But first, there must be hardship. And he went through that hardship in order to come about the goal, and that was to give us eternity. But hear me today, Calvary was not the goal. The cross, although necessary, and I'm not discounting that, so if you take me the wrong way, I'll, I'll just have to make this up later. But that was not the end all. Because it didn't end there. The goal was his resurrection. Because had there not been a Calvary, and had there not been a cross, and had there not been the shedding of blood, there would have never been a tomb. And without the hardships, there would never have been a victory. Hear me today. His eyes were not on the cross, and they were not settled in the tomb. His eyes were fixed on the goal, and that goal was you and me. It wasn't the end. It was only the beginning. He just had to make through in order to get to the goal. And so hear me today, even in our lives as Christian men and women, without the hardships, without the trials, and without the test, there can be no success. We will face temptation, but it is what we do with that temptation that will determine the outcome. You see, without it, the prize would not be as sweet, and without them, the victory would not be as glorious. Remember, Paul 
Christ and Jesus wept and we too must endure until the end. But I've got good news for you today. Be of good cheer because Jesus has already overcome and weeping may endure for the night but joy cometh in the morning and because all things work together for the good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose and all those who keep their faith focused on him will endure until the end let's lift our hands and let's thank the Lord we love you Jesus thank you for your mercy God Jesus name Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our musicians if you will come as I try to find a landing here. Her name was Lilius Trotter. Isabella Lilius Trotter. She was not an apostolic. But just give me some liberty here for a minute. She was born Isabella Lilius Trotter, born July 14th, 1853 in London, England. She was a self-taught artist during the Victorian age, born into a large wealthy family in London's West End. However, her desire and proclivity for God soon outweighed all of that. And her heart was forever fixed on the purpose of missionary work and evangelism. She would volunteer at the YWCA and she would reach out to those of less reputation. In 1879, an artist by the name of John Ruskin was introduced to her art and took her under his wing to tutor her and cultivate her ability. It was this in mind that Ruskin brought Lilius to Brantwood, his home in the Lake District, in May of 1879, three years after their initial meeting. He was to put before her the brilliant future he maintained would undoubtedly be hers if she would give herself fully to the development of her art. Dazzled, Lilius wrote to a friend that Ruskin believed, quote, she would be the greatest living painter and do things that would be immortal. With his talent as a teacher and his power as cultural leader, Ruskin could launch her career single-handedly. But the offer came with a caveat. You see, to be immortal, he said, she would have to give herself up to her art. But she felt the call of another world. She later wrote, I see clearer as daylight now. I cannot give myself to painting in the way he means and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Lilius returned to London and threw all her energies into her city work, integrating all her past teaching, her training and life experience into a vocation of caring. She continued her friendship with Ruskin as well as her art, but now... Quote, with a great independence of soul. She would later describe it as the liberty of those who have nothing to lose because they have nothing to keep. She said, we can do without anything 
while we have God. Then in May of 1887, in a meeting about the challenge of foreign missions, she listed she listened to a message about those in North Africa who had never learned the name or heard the name of Jesus Christ. She felt the call of God on her life to bring a message to that people of Algeria, and she did it in great abandon. The rest happened in an astonishingly short period of time. She applied to the North African mission and was turned down because of health reasons. However, with her own resources, she set about to go to Algeria anyway. She felt her calling was sure and therefore made it her primary focus. She would spend over four decades in North Africa starting missions and establishing works in predominantly Muslim areas, dangerous areas. She could have chosen an easier route. She could have taken a less tumultuous existence. Yet her patience placed her squarely in less than desirable circumstances. She was later quoted with this, and this is, this is what stood out to me so much. She was later quoted as saying this, never, hear me now, never has it been so easy to live in half a dozen harmless worlds at once. Art, music, social science, games, motoring, the following of some profession, and so on. And between them, we, want, we run the risk of drifting about the good hiding the best. She said it is easy to find out whether our lives are focused, and if so, where the focus lies. Where do our thoughts settle when consciousness comes back in the morning? Where do they swing back when the pressure is off during the day? Dare to have it out with God and ask Him to show you whether or not all is focused on Christ and His glory. Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at Him in a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. Those words inspired these words. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Through death into life everlasting he passed and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him, and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses 
Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith can we stand together and can we lift our hands to heaven and can we turn our eyes upon him now can we let out our voices and tell him God you're all that I need You're all that I want, oh God. I want to turn my faith and my focus to you now. If there's something in my life, God, help me to realize it. Help me to understand and help me to have the power to lay it down so that I can go forward with you. No matter what is going on around me, no matter what circumstance has presented itself in my life, no matter what temptations may come my way, My focus must remain on what matters and I must keep my faith focused on Him. Can we lift our hands? Let's lift our voices. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.